truly we should give thanks tonight for his wonderful works to the children of men. It is only through God that we are able to have any redemption in this life. For without Christ, we are of all men most miserable. And truly, those that do not have Christ, you can see it on their faces. You can see it in their actions and their reactions and the choices that they make. The misery of having to live without Christ. And we don't say that arrogantly. We don't say that condescendingly because such were some of you, but you are washed, but you are sanctified, but you are justified. And it is all through the blood of Jesus Christ here tonight. We preach Christ crucified and it truly can be a stumbling block and it can be foolishness to those that do not understand, Uh, but it is the power of Christ. It is everything that we have in this life. Without it, we are most miserable. Blessed be the God, 1 Peter, the first chapter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begun. I just need to say this right now. I need some amens and some hallelujahs here tonight. Uh, We've we've reached a milestone in our church here. It's 125 years since our our organization was founded. Uh, We're just a small part of God's church. Uh, we believe in God's worldwide, universal, holy, sanctified church, and we are thankful to be a part of it. But one thing that I think that, uh, you know, we all have room for improvement, right? Uh, as you seek to, to, to grow in Christ. And I think it's okay if we let loose a few amens. When you hear the word of God preached, it's not me. Uh, I certainly don't want me in this place, but please, if the word of God tugs at your heartstrings, if it strikes a chord with you tonight, it's okay to let a hallelujah slip out every now and then. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again. The word begotten means to be birthed, to be born. And as Jesus told Nicodemus in the third chapter of St. John, he said, you must be born again. And so by according to his mercy, it is only through his mercy that we have the possibility of being born again. It is only through the mercy of God. It is not of works, lest any man should boast. It's not our workmanship. It's not our sufficiency. We're not sufficient of ourselves, but it is through his abundant mercy. Hath he begotten us again unto a lively hope. This is not a dead hope. This is not a a hope that that we sort of kind of maybe believe in, but this is a lively hope. This is a hope that will take us to a home in heaven. And this is a hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance. Aren't you thankful for your inheritance in Christ Jesus tonight? We have so much to be thankful for as a people, as a church. I'm thankful for the inheritance that I have uh, from my forefathers who raised me in a sanctified home, who trained me as a child to know the Holy Scriptures. I'm thankful for that. But without my participation in that covenant between my soul and God, I would be a man most miserable tonight. But this is an inheritance that goes beyond anything physical, is it not? 
This is an inheritance that is in the spirit realm. This is an inheritance that has come down for 2,000 years and on. This is an inheritance that Abraham saw. This is an inheritance that when God talked to him, he said, I'm going to make your seed as numberless as the stars of the heaven. And we are inheritors of that covenant tonight. Aren't you glad? Incorruptible, which means it cannot be destroyed. It cannot be taken away. It cannot wither away and die. There are people who are still in court today disputing inheritances that they have generations beyond. And the reason they're in dispute is because all their documentation has just withered away with time. This is not what we're talking about here tonight. This is incorruptible. It is undefiled and it fadeth not away and it is reserved in heaven. Talk about a safety deposit box. This is reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Skipping down to the 18th verse, for as much as you know, do we know it folks? As you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things. We could have been saved by a lot of different things. And there have been groups of people who have been delivered and who have been set free from various forms of bondage and captivity. But inevitably, over time, you take the Jews, for instance, they went into captivity again, many times, time after time. It was because they were redeemed with corruptible things. They were redeemed with physical things and they had a physical mindset. And this is not what we are talking about. This is a redemption, not with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. Folks, we believe in salvation tonight. We believe in sanctification of the spirit. That's what we believe. And we are unapologetic about it. We are actually are a little bit proud of it. We're a little bit bold about it. If you want to know about sanctification, just come talk to us. Just come kick the door open a little bit and see what happens when you talk to a sanctified person. We just might talk about the third chapter of John. We just might talk about the eighth chapter of Romans. We just might talk about a little bit of first Timothy. You never know what might come out when you talk to a child of God about salvation, because we're not believing it because we had a man that made it up or wrote it down or decided he found it off in some field, but we found it through reading the word of God, the everlasting gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're not scared of questions in this organization, are we? Because if you have a doctrine that is based on the word of God, it can stand up to question. It can stand up to any worries or concerns that you might have because this is the eternal word of God and holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. They didn't make it up. They didn't think it out of the air. They spoke it through and by the word of God. I want to talk tonight and this is just what we have and I want to talk to those who may be a little bit confused. Now maybe not confused is not a right word but maybe they're just unsure about where we stand on some things and maybe you hadn't been here all week or maybe you hadn't been listening a little too good because I've heard some good old fashioned good old fashioned uh, sanctification sermons here this week the preaching's just sir been so wonderful uh, and I want to talk to you if you might be on the fence a little bit tonight because we all find ourselves there at some point in our life 
whether it's as a young child who's come to the age of accountability, or perhaps we're a little bit on in life, and we've had some life experiences, and we've gone through some things, and had some struggles, and made some decisions, and we've fought the fight of life, and had disappointments, and those things can be very troubling. They can cause you to have a lot of confusion. And I'll give you a verse that God gave me when I was a young man. He said, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. So if there's confusion in your life, that's a good barometer, isn't it? You know that that confusion is not coming from God. It's not that the word is causing you to be confused, but we know that we have an enemy of our soul, Satan, our enemy, the lion. He walks about as a lion seeking whom he may devour. And if he can devour you through confusion, he'd love to. If he can devour you through doubt, he'd love to. Or bitterness, he'd love that too. Satan is an equal opportunity destroyer. He doesn't care how he gets you. He is also like God. He has no respect of persons. He doesn't care about your titles or your knowledge or your degrees or your inheritances or anything you've got. If he can snag you by the same tricks he's tried with Nebuchadnezzar and with Ahab and Manasseh and Pharaoh back in Egypt and Jezebel and all of those people we read about in the word. And they have left behind a record of evil for mankind to understand what Satan can do in your life. Now we have men and women who have great epitaphs. Y'all know what an epitaph is. You write something, it's something people remember you by. We know David was a man after God's own heart. And, and Noah was called the friend of God. Wouldn't you like people to remember you as that? The friend of God. That would be wonderful. But we have men and women in the Bible who were known for other things. They were known for their choices. They were, and you can go read all about them in the first chapter of Romans. Where he talks about those people who resisted and resisted. And they fought against God. And they strove with God. And they just refused to believe in the one true God. And they set up idols of this and idols of this. And you better be careful about setting up idols. Because you might mold an idol yourself one day. But if you wait too long, it will turn around and mold you. That's what idolatry does to you. It defines you. It defines everything about you. And those people over there in the first chapter of Romans, it says God gave them over to a reprobate mind. He gave them up. He gave them over. What does that mean? What it means is that they resisted him so much that God said, okay, fine. I'm going to let you make that decision. And he stepped back and let them live. Do you know when it talks about Pharaoh, I didn't know I was going there here. Uh, Y'all just go with me. When it talks about Pharaoh, that he hardened Pharaoh's heart, that's what it's talking about. We have people that get real confused. How could a good, just God harden someone's heart? That's not what it's talking about. God didn't come down and just mold that man's heart into a heart of stone. What happened was he worked with Pharaoh and he strove with Pharaoh. Every time Moses came back, he gave Pharaoh another instance, another chance to let those people go. He was working with him. He was striving with him. And little by little, Pharaoh hardened his own heart because God gave him over to a hardened heart. He said, fine, if you're going to resist me that much and you're going to resist my people that much, I'm going to let you do it. You have a choice tonight on whether or not your heart will be a heart of stone or whether it can be made into a heart of flesh. That's what God is offering you here tonight. And so I want to talk to you. Well, so you go read the first chapter of Romans. It's real interesting. All right. Acts chapter 19. Oh, yes. And it came to pass 
You know, things come to pass. They don't come to stay, do they? Having some good times? It came to pass. You having some hard times? This too came to pass. You dealing with someone in your life who is just really causing you to have a lot of uh, uh, just real struggles with your faith and they're, they're up against you like some of those folks in the Old Testament were against the prophets of God. It came to pass that those people died. It came to pass that God dealt with them. The phrase it came to pass in the Bible is something of hope. That's something good because we know that time proves all things, don't we? We know that time passes and just as surely as I'm going to pass, so are you. We're none here to stay. We all come to pass and we better make our preparation sure. Praise the Lord. It came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Apollos was one of the sanctified brethren. You go back in the 18th chapter of Acts and you can read how Apollos was converted. Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus. And finding certain disciples. I want to be a certain disciple. He said unto them. Oh, this is a good question. Listen now. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Well, we know from the 11th chapter of Hebrews, you cannot come to God unless you first believe. Believe that he is and believe that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So they believed. They first had a moment of belief and they were converted from their old sins. They were changed. They were converted. They were turned around 180 degrees from their past to now a place where they were living in a justified state. As we like to say here in Christ Sanctified Holy Church. He said, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? This is probably the situation that most of the Christian world finds themselves in today, I would imagine. Now, I could be off on my my supposition, but I think that's a pretty good observation. Most people find themselves where these men did here in Ephesus. They have reached a place of belief. They've reached a place where God's converted them. He's forgiven them. He's changed them from their past. And oh, it feels good. Don't you remember when you got your sins forgiven? Didn't it feel good when that load came off and it just felt so good? But let me tell you something. You're finding yourselves in the seventh chapter of Romans where when you would do good, evil is still present with you. You have a desire. You have an urge. You have an earnest feeling in your heart to do good and do right and live right and live holy. But yet There's a law in your members, your body that's warring against the law of your mind. You know, your mind is the back door to your heart. And if the devil can work on your mind and deceive your mind, he has got the key to your heart and he can destroy your soul all through your mind. So we got to be careful what we let into our mind, folks. You got to be careful what you listen to, what you watch, what you, what you talk to, who you talk to. All those things affect your mind. And if the Bible says that the God, lowercase g, don't, don't get it wrong, the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light should shine unto them. So, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, we've not so much as heard that there was any Holy Ghost. Wow. They didn't even know about it. But they'd heard about the baptism of John. They knew about that. He said unto them, unto what then were you baptized? And they said, unto John's baptism. They knew about repentance. They knew about forgiveness of sins. 
And he said, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul has laid his hands on them, the Holy Ghost came on them and they spake with tongues and prophesied and all the men were about 12. I'm going to just say something right here in case you don't, I don't want you to get confused. There were things that happened in the book of Acts that have never happened again. It's true. There were things that had to occur that God sent for specific purpose because the Holy Ghost had never been given before. And people needed to understand what was taking place on the inside. They needed to understand about this gift of the Holy Ghost. They'd never heard about this before. Thousands of years of Jewish history had transpired and nobody had ever heard about the Holy Ghost. That's right. But now it's come. He's come, Brother Jimmy. He, the Holy Spirit, has come. And he is bringing all things to their remembrance. Whatsoever he had showed unto them. So these men, they believed and they were sanctified. And let me tell you something. It can seem like a mystery to you. That's okay. God has the answer to the mysteries. We speak the wisdom of God in the mystery. 1 Corinthians, the second chapter, even the hidden wisdom, which God hath ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For if they had known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. This is a true statement written in the Old Testament that we none can even possibly comprehend what God has prepared for us before we get sanctified. There's a qualifier there. In the Old Testament, they couldn't go beyond that verse. But now Paul gives us a wonderful verse of hope. Verse 10, but God hath revealed them to us by his spirit. For the spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. I want you to understand if you are not sanctified tonight, it's okay not to understand everything. It's okay not to know all the mysteries of the gospel and all of the intricacies. You don't have to be able to explain revelation and and all of that and all of its complexity. God wants you to have a measure of faith. He wants you to believe that he is. He wants you to be able to kneel in humility and in contriteness of heart. He wants you to be able to ask for repentance, to be repentant, not remorseful. Y'all know the difference? To be remorseful means you got caught. Yeah. We've all been there. But repentance means I'm sorry even if nobody ever finds out about it. Because I know that God Almighty knows about it and I owe him everything. And so I'm sorry, Lord. I beat my breast like that man did standing there in the temple. And he said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And that other man stood there in his haughtiness and in his pride. Do you know that that will send you to hell? That is the the sin of human goodness. That's what that is. Pride. We have things that we can do and they're good and charitable and they're wonderful. And they do good works. But that pride of human goodness will send you right to hell if you're not careful. We have to be humble and a contrite heart. In Psalms, he said, an humble and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. He loves it. That's what he's looking for. And so 
it's okay if you don't understand everything. God wants to work with you. He wants a pliable heart. He wants a pliable mind so that he can mold you and give you the mind of Christ. He wants you to be able to have the heart of flesh, a heart full of love, a heart full of his goodness and his spirit. If you go over here to Thessalonians, you got to be receptive. For this cause also we thank God without ceasing because when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh in you also that believe. In order to be able to come to God, you have to have a heart of faith that accepts the truth when you hear it. And you can sit there and say, well, how do I know the truth when I hear it? Your human brain and soul recognizes the truth of God when it hears it. I believe that with every fiber of my being. We've had people in our history who walked in our doors. Some of them even stood outside the window and listened through the cracks. And they said, I heard the truth of the gospel and the truth had a ring to it. It. The truth had a ring to it. And they came to an altar of prayer, not understanding everything, but they believed in the power of God. This is what God can do to them that believe. And so now we get to an altar of prayer and God forgives us and we come back and we ask for that Holy Spirit to come in. Jesus said, I will send the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, and he will abide in me. Oh, just like Jesus said over there in the uh, 15th, I think it was, he said, abide in me and I in you. If you don't abide in the vine, you're going to have no power. You're going to have no spirit. You're going to have nothing. And folks, unless we abide, somebody was talking about where we're going to be in the next few years, we've got to abide in the vine. As a church, as a people, it's not not just our leader's responsibility or our congregation's responsibility. It's your responsibility. It's my responsibility. I've got to abide in the vine with you and you've got to abide in there with me. That's the fellowship that we have one with another is abiding in the vine and he abides in us. And so when we get to God and we ask for that Holy Spirit to come in and he fills us. And let me tell you something. The Holy Spirit is not small and it just sets up a quiet little room over here in the temple of our heart. The Holy Spirit, when it comes in and you welcome it, it pushes out everything that could possibly be in there and take up space. It just moves into every corner, every little dusty place that you might have hid something behind the door that, that you don't want to tell anybody about. If you, when you welcome the Holy Spirit in, he pushes everything else out. He will not dwell in an unclean temple. That means all the dust mites, all the little cobwebs, they've got to be swept out. When you kneel at an altar of prayer, you got to clean it out from the top to the bottom, from the attic to the basement. And so he says over here in the book of Philippians, because I think this is probably one of the biggest uh, points of concern for those that don't know about sanctification. They say, well, what happens when I get up from the altar? What am I going to do? Because I've got this that I'm facing when I get back home or maybe this that's still with me when I'm here. I might have carried it here with me. What am I going to do about it? Because I've tried to lay it down and I walk away from it and inevitably I come back to it. I pick it up sometimes without even thinking. It's a habit. It's an addiction. It's a whatever. I don't know what yours is, but we've all had one. Some stronghold in our life that must be dealt with 
in order to find peace with God. That's right. And this is the work that God wants you to perform once you get sanctified. This is the growth in grace for us to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. When we get rid of sin in our life, when God takes it out and he fills us with the spirit, we then have a responsibility to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. And if it looks like the world and smells like the world and walks like the world and talks like the world, you can almost guarantee that it's got a smidgen of the world in it. And the Bible says in 1 John, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Well, Brother Brian, I don't love the world. I'm not in the world. But you got a thing. Is there a thing in your life? You must get rid of everything. And the book of Colossians says that he's crucified it with the affections and lusts. Well, Brother Brian, I can't help what I love. I was born with that love. The affections and lusts. That means that if you can kill it, you also can birth it. You choose what your affections are. And God wants to change your choices. He wants to change your desires. He wants to change your wanna. He wants to change everything about the decisions that you make on a daily basis. Because he wants a man and woman who wants nothing more than for the love of God to be shed abroad in their heart. So that the gospel can be preached. And you know you might have choices that you face that you don't want to face. I understand that. But let me, let, let me read you what Paul said about that. Paul had a lot. My goodness, if there was ever a man who carried everything in this world to the feet of the cross, it was Paul the Apostle. He had wealth. He had knowledge. He had uh, 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 an ancestry. He had position. He had power. He had all these things. He was in society. He had friends. He had all these things. And he said, oh, what things were gain to me, I counted loss. For Christ. Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ and be found in him. Oh, when God takes, you know, it says the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout the earth. That's a wonderful image in my mind. And I want when the Lord's eyes roam over Perry, Georgia, or when they roam over Chesapeake, Virginia, or when they roam over Wilmington, North Carolina, or wherever you may find yourself, that when the eyes of the Lord pass by, we can be found in Him. He finds us in Christ where all things are passed away. And all things are become new. Praise the Lord. Not having my own righteousness. How did that work out for you? Having your own righteousness. Didn't do you very good, much good, did it? You couldn't save yourself with your righteousness. You couldn't stop your addictions and lusts with your righteousness. It did no good for you. He said, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Oh, folks, here we go. That I may know him. That I may know him. Oh, let me tell you something. In the French language, they have two words for the verb to know. 
The first verb means, do you know Brother Gene? Well, I've seen him, I know him, yes, I know him. The second, yeah, it's in all the romantic languages, it's exactly the same way. The second meaning is, do you truly know him? Meaning, do I know him on an intimate, friendship, loving, brotherly love level? I know about him all. I know what he likes and what he doesn't like. I know what kind of man he is. I truly know him. Folks, there's a difference between having an acquaintance and having true knowledge of Jesus Christ. Because until you know him, you can't be in him. And love him like you need to. He wants us to know him. And that's part of the wonderful part about growing in the grace of Jesus Christ. We can get in this sweet holy word and we can take it down from cover to cover. And I may not understand every little verse, every little jot and tittle as Jesus said. But I know this is Jesus Christ from, from Genesis all the way to the maps. I know it's Jesus Christ and I can get to know him. I can get to know him all backwards and forwards that I may know him and I can know the power of his resurrection. Don't you want to get to know the power? That's what we're looking for because I don't have the power before I come to Christ, but I can get to know the power when I come to him and I can get to know the fellowship of his sufferings. Oh my, that's kind of a deal breaker with some folks. They don't want to get, they don't want to come to God and have to suffer. They've already suffered a lot. Let me tell you something. Oh, we can count it all joy when we fall into diverse temptations. The book of James says, and that is one of those things that you will understand once you come to Christ, that even suffering with Christ is better than the joys of the world. The sufferings of Christ are better. Everything about God is better than when I was in the world. Being made conformable to his death. Oh my goodness. Conformable to his death. Praise the Lord. Over here. So here's some things we need to do in order to keep ourselves. We renounce all. That's what Paul just said. We renounce it all. It's all lost. It's all done. It means nothing. It means nothing. If I go alone, yeah. Okay. What's your determination? If you go broke, okay. How badly do you want the Spirit of God in your life? How badly do you want a home in heaven? Are you willing to lose it all to find Christ? And he says over here, we also have to restrain our appetites. And he said unto his disciples, 12th chapter of Luke, 22nd verse, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life. Wow. No thought. What you shall eat. That ought to convict a lot of us in here. Me especially. I put a lot of thought into what I eat. Okay. I'm not trying to be funny. I'm just saying that the, this is where the word of God will cut between the soul and the spirit. It'll divide asunder. It'll get down to the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. There are some things that we go throughout our life and we just mindlessly do until we open the word of God and he sheds the spotlight on it. And you say, oh my goodness, Lord, I didn't know. Lord, I want to, I want to be closer. I want to know you. I want to know the power of your resurrection. I want to know the fellowship of your suffering. If this is preventing me, Lord, help me get rid of it. Neither for the body, what you shall put on. The life is more 
than meat. And the body is more than raiment. Folks, there is more to life than what we're looking at. Because if this is it, in this life only, if this is it, we're of all men most miserable. There is more to life than running the rat race. Can I get an amen? Let me tell you something. Y'all have been in the workforce. You've been out in the world and you've seen the kind of people that are out there. Sin will do some awful things to people. I had a friend not too long ago, a very dear friend. I had been at the hospital when she had her baby. We had, we had started out as teachers together uh, several years ago. And uh, she, uh, she turned into something I had never, I didn't even recognize. Just backbiting, cutthroat, backstabbing. Yeah. It hurt. Yeah. It hurt. Yeah. But you know what? I got to press on. Yes. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Got to press on. I can't stop in my progress because somebody that was in my life all of a sudden turned on me. It ain't worth going to hell over because of somebody else. It ain't worth going to hell over because of something that's in my life that's going to leave, that I'm going to leave behind. I'm not taking it with me. The body is more than raiment and the life is more than meat. So folks, if the Lord tells us we ought to shape up, let's shape up. That's how we keep the church going is by shaping up when the Lord tells us to. Trimming the fat. It's okay to trim the fat. It's okay to find the excess. It's okay to find the weakness. It's okay to find, you know, they talk about the weakest link. It's okay to find those areas. That's why it says examine yourselves from head to toe. You wouldn't mind going to the doctor and letting them do in a full body scan if you knew there was a possibility you might have cancer. You'd want to know where it was. You'd want to get rid of it. You didn't, it didn't matter what part of your body it was in, from your hair to your toenails. You want it out. Well, ought we not to do the same in our spiritual life or in the church when we've got to, if we know that there's something wrong, Lord, help us to examine ourselves and let's not get offended if maybe it cuts a little too close and maybe we're a little too uncomfortable about where it's cutting. Third chapter of Colossians. If. That's a conditional word. It's conditional. If ye then be risen with Christ, <laughs> seek those things. They don't come by accident. They're not going to just fall into your lap out of the sky and hit you on the head. You got to seek them. You got to search for them. You got to look for them. You got to want them. You got to desire them. You got to work for them. Seek those things. We talk about things, things that I got to get rid of down here. God wants me to seek things that are above. Seek, Seek things that are above. 
where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. I want all those things that are wherever he is sitting on the right hand of God. I don't know what's sitting by him, but I want every one of them. Set your affection. That's what I was talking about. Set your affection. You have the ability to set your affections on things above. Oh my goodness. Is there something I've got my affection on that might be keeping me from being closer to God? Not on things of the earth. Bible says denying ungodliness. Denying worldly lusts. We should live soberly. It's not, we're not going to laugh our way through life. Some folks, they just think everything's a joke. Everything's funny. Oh, nothing serious. We don't have to get serious about nothing. Let me tell you something. Judgment ain't funny. It's sober. It's serious. And the judgment and severity of God will sober you up. It better sober you up. Because we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for the deeds done in the body, whether they be good or evil. We're all going to stand there. Set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. For ye are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. I want my life hidden and you can't even see it. Isn't that what you want? I want everything about me to be hidden. I want you to see Christ. That's what we're striving for. Mortify. That means kill them. Therefore, your members, which are upon the earth, you got to kill them. They have to be dead. Not even a, a little bit of a heartbeat. It has to be totally dead in order for you to successfully make it to a home in heaven. Going down here, put on therefore as the elect of God. I put on clothes when I came in here. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies. Help me to have mercy to you and you to have mercy to me. I'm a faulted person. I have quirks of personality that maybe you don't like. That's okay. You got them too. (laughs) That's the love of Christ that's shed abroad from brother to sister, isn't it? Aren't you glad for the love of Christ that was shed abroad to you? I'm glad folks love me in spite of myself. That's what God's people do. We love each other. Kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. We put on these things, folks, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. Or you can live good that way. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, How does he forgive us? Before you call, I will answer. While you're yet speaking, I will hear. So if Christ forgives me that way, we we love to talk about, oh, Christ saw you before you ever got up from the bench and forgave you before you ever asked. Have we done that to our brother? Have we done that to our sister? Forgive them before they even ask? We better. Even as Christ forgave you, So also do ye. You did worse things to Christ than people did to you. You crucified the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. I did too. And as Christ forgave us in his infinite mercy, 
so also ought the body of Christ to do one to another. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Oh, love just bonds us together, doesn't it? It binds God's people in perfect. It does it perfectly. If we were all bound together by blood, we'd split up after a while. I've got folks that are akin to me by blood that I, I don't ever see. Don't ever have a relationship with. You've got the same. But the spirit of God, the love of God binds us perfectly. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts. To the which also you are called in one body. And be ye thankful. Be ye thankful. I'm so thankful that I'm free from this world of sin. I'm washed in the blood of Jesus. I've been born again. Begotten again into a lively hope. And we don't have to be ashamed when we walk down the street because we've got a conscience void of offense toward God and man. We can have a wonderful relationship one with another. This is what Christ can do for you. And if you're not sanctified tonight, I want to let you know there's power in the blood. There's power in the blood. Whatever you don't, whatever you lack, God's got it. Whatever you need, God's got it. He is the answer to all things in our life. So while we sing a song of invitation, if you have a need... The altars are open, and we want everyone to come and pray. Let's all stand.